This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Man, do we got an episode for you guys today. All my fantasy football lovers out there, you are going to love this episode. Lots of information, lots of debate, lots of going back and forth and arguing about who should be this, who should be that. So you're going to have a lot of fun this episode, I promise you. Great guest, great guest. It was an awesome conversation from beginning to end. Before I, I before we get to that, please tell your friends, your enemies, your coworkers, your people you hate, family members, people you bump into in the street in a road rage incident, Tell them about Clock Dodgers, guys. Get them to subscribe to the podcast today. If you can, leave a review. It's super helpful. Check out clockdodgers.com. Lots of great content on there. I know you heard some of my boys on here previously, but we got fresh meat stuff up there, census rankings up there, um, all kinds of content. Get yourself a wristband, some new shirts dropping soon, or maybe the old style, but redropping again. We'll see how we do it. Um, lots of stuff coming out. Don't forget to support our guests. It's super important. Our guests always have some kind of thing you can support them through typically. Um, if you can do that, please do that. It's really important um, to keep building this Clock Dodger community that we got going that's so strong. Guys, let's go ahead and get to the episode. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Hit the alarm. You are now locked in to the Clock Dodgers Podcast. Clock Dodgers Podcast. Welcome to the Clock Dodgers Podcast. I am your host, Neil. I have my boy Adam on here with me. What's up, Adam? What's going on, Neil? Not much, man. We're doing obviously you're here, so we're doing a fantasy football podcast. We actually got a guest on the line today. Our guest is a member of the Fantasy Authority Podcast. He also is a contributor for Fantasy Footballers, Roto Underworld, TQBs. He's he's everywhere. He's he's got stuff everywhere. Obviously, with all that being said, he's obviously a smart dude. So I do want to welcome to the show Ben. What's up, Ben Cummins? Man, don't give me too much credit. Uh, uh, what's up, guys? Well, I'm actually, really, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna take a little bit of away from you because you're a Bronco fan, and I'm a Raider fan, and so you know those two things don't drive well great. But you oh, know, I'm, I'm gonna act like it's not fight, true. Fight, 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 <laughs> fight, fight, fight. Man, I've had so much fun already talking with you guys before the pod, but I love how I love how Neil just held that one in for yeah. right when we started recording. Oh yeah, and very very smart man, man. Um, yeah, I don't like the Raiders at all, so that uh, <laughs> causes me to think uh, about you a little bit different. But I can't deny, I can't hate the fact that they are building a squad in Oakland. So, And they just got Marshawn Lynch. Um, pretty dope. Uh, so I'm sure we'll get into all types of stuff like that. Hopefully, the Broncos can find a quarterback and we can compete uh, and get back in the playoffs, but I'm not feeling too great about it at the moment. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It's an interesting thing going on. And and speaking of our favorite teams, I mean, right now today the NFL schedule has got released. 
And I don't know if Adam's excited about his team schedule being released, but I know I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> uh, Adam, are you excited about your team schedule? I mean, your, your team's kind of in a bad place. I don't know if you get excited about those kind of things right now. Oh, no, I'm super stoked. I think okay. the Bears could go 0-16 this year, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm really hoping that uh, – we also, I mean, it seems like we're going to draft Deshaun Watson. So, I mean, we're going for, like, lowest throw velocity in the league with Mike Lennon and Deshaun <laughs> Watson. I mean, honestly, I mentioned it before on the pod that the Cubs used to be the lovable losers. They won a World Series. So the Bears are like, oh, shit, we got to get to losing. And I'm really stoked to just see how bad we can become. <laughs> watch out. We're coming for you. Yeah. Somebody has to play that role in Chicago, right? I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, I actually live in Illinois. My dad and both my brothers are Bears fans. Um, and, you know, I kind of like them a little bit because I pretty much like all other Chicago sports teams. I'm a White Sox fan, though. So they've kind of been playing the lovable losers recently themselves. Um, but, you know, like the Bulls. Um, like the Blackhawks, but I just, John Elway, those couple Super Bowls caused me to be a Broncos fan. But I, uh, you know, I got family and friends that are Bears fans and yeah, it, not, not doing super, super hot at the moment, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think I've seen somewhere that they got a pretty easy schedule though. I, I believe I could be wrong. But no, I uh, the Bears actually have what's rated right now is one of the harder schedules. Oh, really? Okay. Their, so first, I reversed their it, yeah. first four games are rated as the hardest opening schedule in the league right now. So we're going to definitely start nice. going four, And I think it's just going to be a lot of losing. From there. <laughs> it's going to so, be fun. I mean, We've talked about it before. I kind of hate everything that the Bears are doing right now, so uh, let's not get into it too much. <laughs> it's funny that you say that, though. It already. It's funny that you say that, though, because I like for four months I've just had this this thought that they're going to take Deshaun Watson. I don't really know what has caused me to connect it, and now you're starting to hear those rumors. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah. As far as the schedules go, I mean, did anything stick out to you guys? That like, I mean, obviously, you know, you put some pretty fun games together, of course. Um, and obviously me being a Raider fan, I went straight to that schedule. So, I, you know, just speaking on that one, they're playing in Miami. I'm in West Palm Beach, Florida. You know I'm going to that game. And it's a Sunday night there game. There you go. A Sunday night game. Oh, so, those man, are the best. That yeah. means you don't have to miss red zone during the day. Exactly. And the Raiders play five primetime games this year, which is obviously if you're a Raider Ooh, fan, you awesome. know that's ridiculous. It's never happened like forever. I so. hate to say it, man, but rightfully so. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's what stood out to me instantly, of course. Is there anything as far as it, whether fantasy or fan-wise that – Stood out to you guys. I know we haven't had a lot of time to digest it, but anything that really stood out at all? Um, the biggest thing that stood out to me was I was pretty disappointed by the lineup for the uh, Thanksgiving Day games. Like that's probably the thing that I don't know. When the schedule releases, I I could care less in a lot of ways. Like I, I'll dissect it in time, but you know, right away the biggest thing that I normally look at is some of the prime time games, and then ultimately I look at you know who's who's going to be playing during thanksgiving because that to me like is they always are synonymous with one another you know they go hand in hand right i just i don't know i'm, I'm kind of disappointed by it you know i mean they they did give washington their first ever uh thanksgiving home game against the giants so like that game should be exciting to some degree um but i don't know it just it doesn't doesn't really do it for me at this point you know detroit minnesota that's not getting me excited at all so Ben, is you that excited the exact all, game or you that disappointed happened? like him too? I'm trying to pull up the Thanksgiving Day schedule because that's one of my favorite days. And I love that day for DFS, and I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Didn't Detroit and Minnesota play each other last year on Thanksgiving? Why would they repeat? Um, I don't That's recall. weird. I didn't I, – I, I just had a um, – you know, I just skimmed it. And 
I'm a DFS guy, obviously fantasy football. New York Giants play at Dallas Sunday night football week one. That's gonna be that's gonna be awesome. Green Bay at Atlanta Sunday night football week two is gonna be great. Um, Detroit at New York Giants Monday night football week two. And then a couple in the middle of the season, Atlanta. Um, who are they facing? I can't you know believe they they got my they got my Raiders playing in Mexico. Oh, New again. England. They got my Raiders playing in Mexico, but it's New England. Like seriously, that's because they're a home oh, game man. for us, the Patriots in Mexico. Come on, that's that's crazy. Do they are they playing in uh, Mexico every year now? I feel like that's yeah, they did last year. I think it's gonna be like a trend. Cause I think you know Mexico likes the Raiders. You know, I can't blame them. Man. Ooh, that that Chargers Cowboys game on Thanksgiving is pretty interesting though. That's probably the the best one. Yeah, Ben, you were totally right though. Minnesota and Detroit played last year, and they're playing again this year. That's weird. At least that's it's so an early weird. game. <laughs> yeah. I know, and and then I mean, L.A. Dallas doesn't really do it for me either. So yeah, I, I, L.A. Chargers, I should say, you know, not the Rams. So it could be worse, but, I guess. Let right. me let me actually. Yeah. That should be an okay fantasy game. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to ask you guys really quick before we move on to other stuff. With, with as far as when you're drafting players and when you're putting your lineups together and you're and you're putting your rosters together. Do either one of you get super concerned? I know there's plenty of research out there about rosters and who's got strength of schedules and this. Do either one of you get crazy about that, or do you just kind of let the chips fall where they may? You know, uh, I, I, go, go ahead, ahead Ben. <laughs> we're, we're being too nice. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't pay a ton of attention to it. I do. I, the thing that I will look at every single year is what what uh, and what opposite division is every single team playing. Obviously, every AFC division gets an NFC division. And so the NFC West, you know, historically has had some pretty good defenses. Like I know back in the day, like I actually had Peyton Manning in fantasy the year that he broke the touchdown record. And then everybody was on him as like a first round pick the next year. And one of the reasons why I wasn't about that was because of the value, of course, but also they were facing the NFC West. And at that time, the Seahawks defense was amazing. The 49ers defense was great. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And so that was part of my reasoning. So I will look at who they're facing, what division they're facing. Um, the, the opposite side of that is whoever is getting either the NFC South or the NFC East, the NFC East preferably. Like if you're an AFC team and you get four games against the the NFC East, that, that makes me like you a little bit more. So <laughs> yeah. I do look at it, but at the end of the day, it's really only a tiebreaker. I'm going to trust my evaluations um, over over the schedule because you never really know um, looking at it preseason whether it's actually going to still be a tough game or not with injuries. Right, and right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I just echo what Ben said there. The only thing that I'll add is that defenses are probably the most difficult thing to predict in fantasy. So I'm not really in the business of trying to predict defensive production, and for that reason, in turn, I'm I'm not really paying attention too much to strength of schedule just because. I feel like, you know, for maybe the first couple games, it can matter, but everything shifts so greatly in the NFL yeah. just in a few games. So for yeah. me, you know, like Ben said, it, it can occasionally be like a tiebreaker thing, but I don't really put too much stock in it. That's fair. totally agree. That's fair. All right, guys. So we're going to move on from the schedule. And I mean, like I said, there's a lot of time to digest all that. So, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward, but who knows? It's all new to us. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into our, our segment that we actually started on the last episode. We did it with Jen for the first time and it's value value where art thou value i have to get a good drop for that because i don't i'm just not the guy for it you know um i don't know if you know if uh, adam wants to practice his his accent i mean i just i gotta get a drop for that <laughs> i gotta get a drop it'd be so much more impactful. all right <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll 
we'll we'll edit it in to act like I did this. So there we go. Perfect. All right. Um, so what we do? Oh. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hit it. I was gonna toss it up. Toss it up. Value, value. Where for out thou value? Wow. Not that was bad. amazing. Not bad. Sorry, I got no yeah, money for I you, man. I got no money for you, man. But we'll use it. That sounded uh, like you hit a recording. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm totally just leaving this how it is, Adam. So everyone's gonna know that you like prep for that. But uh, <laughs> this is gonna roll just how it happened. Um, so what we do in this is just a fun little segment where you know last week, last episode we did running backs. Um, this episode we'll do wide receivers, and we just kind of put some guys together. We grouped them in a certain way. Um, Adam helps out tremendously with this, obviously. Um, and and we just kind of see you know depending on the the, the uh, situation we put in front of you, which guy has more value to you at that point you know which one which value do you like better um in, in the situation that they're yeah. in so the uh the first guys that we're going to start off with are two teammates which i feel like we're going to talk about a lot um i like them both but it's terrell Pryor as wide receiver 23 so you know late fourth round versus jameson crowder as wide receiver 30 in the late fifth round and ben will let you start since you're the guest yeah, man. So I'm a big Kirk Cousins fan. And so I definitely like both of these guys, too. Um, I, I want to start off by saying, though, that uh, Sporting News' Eric Galco really just the other day reported that the Cousins trade rumors are not dead yet. So I wonder if we'll see something on draft night, although I wouldn't say the odds are that great. So um, assuming that Cousins <coughs> stays with Washington, because obviously if he leaves, then neither one of them are a value. Right. But if he stays... Um, you know, Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson are gone, which leaves 214 targets up for grabs. Washington um, threw the ball a lot last season. Um, and so I like both guys. Um, I'm going to, I guess, kind of ride the fence here a little bit because it's, we're talking about all types of leagues, right? So I know this is MFL 10 ADP, which is full PPR. So with being able to get Crowder a little bit later in full PPR leagues, I'm going to say the value is Crowder. At wide receiver 30, um, he's had 126 catches over the last two seasons, his first two in the league. He's only going to be 24 this season, and he is the only returning wide receiver that has played with Cousins before. Um, Josh Doxson and Terrell Pryor are both new. Um, Doxson obviously played like one game or a couple snaps last year with the injury. So he's got that rapport, so I would say him. But on the flip side of that, I do think in standard, I would lean towards Pryor just because the guy is 6'4", 233 pounds, and I think that he has solid touchdown upside. Now, Crowder did score some last year, and he'll be fine in that area, but I think that's where, if you're shooting for upside, um, I'd probably lean prior there for, for the touchdown upside. He, he was solid in that department in Cleveland, and um, you know Washington obviously is a much better situation with Cousins if he's there. Um, there's going to be a lot more touchdowns to go around, and I think – Kirk Cousins actually has a little bit of touchdown regression in a positive way coming with all the yards he threw last year and didn't didn't actually throw a ton of touchdowns. So I would uh, lean prior and stand. Gotcha. I, I, I definitely myself like Crowder. I like them both. I love both. I had both last season in a lot of leagues, but now they're teammates. I'm leaning Crowder um, value-wise, but I also, I don't know, man. Like, I did read something where Pryor said, like, you know, he felt like he could he should have had 1,500 yards or more last year, and so much was left on the table, and I'm like, jeez, man, like, what is this guy's potential? But I Oh, gonna, man, yeah. I'm, I'm going to lean Crowder just because I feel like he's the safer option for me here, especially, like you said, I kind of think PPR is the way I lean with my, with my thinking all the time. So I'm going to say Crowder. Right. So that's where I'm going to go. 
Adam, do you do you lean Pryor or do you lean Crowder? I know you're with me in the same boat where we love both these guys, just like Ben. But if you had to choose, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, like you said, I, I am a big fan of both of these players. Um, ultimately, I think that Kirk Cousins is going really underrated right now in drafts because if both these guys can perform to be top twenty-four wide receivers, which I totally believe that they can, and yes. Kirk does stay in Washington, which I it would be shocked if they move him. Um, but I think that he's being really undervalued in drafts. I mean, he is top five upside very easily. And ultimately, the thing that really has me um, intrigued about Terrell Pryor in this situation is that Jamison Crowder's role is really known. He's going to be that slot flanker role for that offense. He's ultimately going to be their Julian Edelman, if you will. And Terrell Pryor, on the other hand, has that X wide receiver upside. I mean, his top uh, comparable player on player profiler is Demarius Thomas. He has that ability to have that elite upside. So I think really when targeting these Washington wide receivers, they are very different in how you're going to develop your roster construction. I feel like if you're drafting a guy like Pryor, his ADP right now for me is a little high. I mean, as wide receiver right. 23, I definitely think he can exceed that. However, I feel like his floor is much below that, where Crowder has probably a higher floor but a lower ceiling. So it really depends if you're more risk-averse or yeah. more you know, going towards risk, trying to hit a home run. Ultimately, I mean, this is not supposed to be directed specifically for MFL 10s. We did talk MFL 10s in the last podcast. In a best ball format, I think Pryor really is the pick, even at his ADP, because he does offer that upside, and you are looking to win it all in that format. Yeah. With it being sort of like a redraft perspective, Crowder presents a really high floor. He's a guy who I think, ultimately, uh, like Ben brought up, they vacated 214 targets there. So that leaves a ton open. And for me, Crowder is probably going to be the highest targeted player on that offense, But when Pryor opened himself up in free agency, my biggest concern for him was that he'd go to an offense where he wouldn't be targeted like he was in Cleveland. And he really lucked into probably the best situation available for him. So for me, it's a great fit. I really love Kirk Cousins as a quarterback. I think Terrell Pryor has all the upside in the world to be that sort of elite wide receiver. So if you're embracing risk, if you're playing in a league that is kind of a winner-take-all format, Pryor's the guy. I mean, he has that elite upside. Right now, I mean, I hope his ADP drops just a little bit because in the fourth round, there's some other guys who are around him, like Golden Tate, for instance, who I just think are a little bit more secure and still have a lot of upside that I'm targeting probably a bit more than Pryor. But man, I just, for me, if I'm trying to win a league, Terrell Pryor is a guy who can do that for me. And that excites me. Yeah. I yeah. Think, Kirk Cousins uh, was quarterback five last season. Like you said, he yeah. already has shown that upside. Um, and Terrell Pryor was finished as wide receiver 18 in standard and wide receiver 19 in PPR last year on the Browns. And that's what makes him so intriguing because he's being drafted after what he did last year on the Browns in a better situation. And um, it's just so crazy because he came out of nowhere and it's really just like this one hit wonder thing. And I feel like we kind of are still thinking about him in that light, but it's like 
He's a beast. He he proved it last year in a bad situation, although I kind of like Cody Kessler, but he's not Kirk Cousins, and so now he's in a better situation. The one thing that's interesting to me is I really hope Josh Doxson can stay healthy and get on the field because he was my favorite wide receiver in the, in the uh, as a rookie last year. Um, it was kind of right when I first started watching tape, and God, his tape is so awesome. So it's going to be interesting from that standpoint because um, – I feel like both got both Pryor and Doxson will line up on the outside. And so is, is there a, you know, are they kind of taking targets away from each other a little bit? But I mean, that's, that's kind of silly to say in a way too, because they're probably going to both be on the field a ton. And then Crowder's that guy that actually didn't play 100% of the snaps all the time last year. Um, I'm sure I'm guessing his snaps will pick up now um, with a little bit uh, more inexperience just from a team standpoint. And like you said, I think he's, just going to be such a solid option in PPR every single week, and you want that stability in season-long leagues. But, yeah, the upside is with Pryor just because of what we talked about, what he's already done in Cleveland and going to a better situation. And they, they better keep Kirk Cousins. I love the dude. I don't understand what their thinking is. Like, just commit to this guy because he's really good. Right, yeah. It's going to be an interesting situation. We mentioned Pryor, Crowder. You said Doxon. We can't forget Jordan Reed. So if everybody's healthy there, it's going to be a pretty uh, crowded situation. But uh, Kirk Cousins can probably spread it around good enough for everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, and Josh Doxon's wide receiver 54, so he's an interesting yeah. uh, by low option, but on that upside we're talking about, he has that upside too. Absolutely. All right, so I, we, we talked a lot about that one. Let's move to the next one. Um, we got these are basically all number two wide receivers that have great quarterbacks. Um, so the first one is Devontae Adams, wide receiver 20 in the late third. You got Michael Crabtree, wide receiver 21 in the fourth. He does have a great quarterback. Um, Dante Moncrief, wide receiver 25 in the early fifth. And Willie Sneed, wide receiver 34 in the sixth. Um, Adam, you want to start this one off? Yeah, I'll definitely uh, kick this one off. There's, there, you know, there's a few guys who I like in here. Um, as you said, Michael Crabtree has a great quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that little nod that he gave to Carr there. Had but to, um, had to. for for me, really, the guy who has the largest potential to exceed his average draft position right now is Willie Sneed. Yes, um, you know, ultimately, we just saw Brandon Cooks go to New England in free agency. Um, I did see a mock where Corey Davis ends up in New Orleans. I don't know how he falls that far in the draft, but if that happens, that's definitely going to have me take a step back from this analysis. However, currently, I don't see that occurring unless he is the one who goes there. I really don't think any rookie is going to come in and usurp Willie Sneed's potential in that offense. And his upside for me is gigantic. Similar to kind of what we were talking about with the Redskins, it's actually kind of an interesting similar situation between how Terrell Pryor parallels to what Michael Thomas is in New Orleans offense. Now Michael Thomas has shown elite upside from last year. But Willie Sneed really fits more of that Crowder role where I think that he could end up potentially even out targeting Thomas, not necessarily like by a ton, um, but it could be very close between the two of them. I feel like he's going to be more of the possession receiver, more of the reliable receiver in that offense. And he possesses this awesome ability to bring, uh, you know, the yards after catch and, and just this element to the offense that really, I think he can, can exceed expectations as a wide receiver 34 I think he definitely has that top 24 upside, but right now he has so much value baked in because his ADP is so low. 
It's yes. so hard to break into the top 24 right now. But for me, if if I'm looking at value, value, where art thou value, it's <laughs> yeah. Willie Sneed. Yeah, I think we're all going to agree on that. But Ben, um, is there anything you could add to that? Or I mean, are you, maybe you're going to go somewhere else. But I mean, just from your reaction to Adam, it sounds like you agree with Willie Sneed as well. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I can piggyback <laughs> off that. I mean, I like all four guys, obviously. Um, I, I think, you know, we all know that wide receivers are tied to the success of their quarterbacks. Just ask Allen Robinson last year. And so obviously... You know, that's usually I, I, I target guys that catch passes from really good quarterbacks. So this would fall. All four of these guys would fall into that category. But I really think there's only one guy here that is a value. And that is Snead. I think all the other three guys are being drafted, um, you know, right around where they should be. I think Snead should be being drafted higher. He finished as wide receiver 32 last year as the number three with Brandon Cooks on the team. And he's being drafted as wide receiver 34. Those 117 targets, I believe it is, are gone. Um, you know, Kobe Fleener has been a disappointment. They don't have an elite pass catching running back. The Saints have been second in pass attempts each of the last three years. Um, I mean, and just in PPR leagues, give me this dude at this price all day, every day. Um, you know, he's had seven touchdowns in two years. So in standard leagues, it's a little bit different, but I wouldn't even move him down a ton because he's now the wide receiver too on one of the best fantasy offenses there is. And I just feel like, you know, I feel like people get stuck on ADP and, you know, Sneed's ADP has come up a lot since the Cooks trade, but I think it needs to come up even more. I think in PPR, this dude is, you know, if he stays healthy, I think he's almost a damn near lock for uh top 24 yeah. wide receiver and i will take him all day at this price yeah it sounds like we all agree i mean obviously like you said there's a, gr- a good group of wide receivers in general but we all agree that the value the strongest value here is is in sneed um so let's move over to the next group of guys we have wide receivers over the age of 30 so this is sort of the old man's group uh in, in football terms of age so we got julian edelman wide receiver 26 in the early fifth round we got Larry Fitzgerald, wide receiver 31 at the 5-6 turn. Brendan Marshall, who I know Ben has actually written about, at a wide receiver 33 in the 6th. And we have Deshaun Jackson with his new team, wide receiver 35 at the 6-7. and seven. Uh, Ben, we'll let you kick this one off. Um, yeah, I, I wrote about Brandon Marshall within um, two quarterbacks article with Eli Manning, and I like him. I think that's a fair price. Uh, last year is still a little bit scary, though, and I kind of talked about that, how, you know, there's a chance that, you know, he just fell off a cliff last year. I would I would bet against that. So I like that. But I'm actually going to go with Larry Fitzgerald here. Um, you know, we're not talking dynasty. We're talking one year, right? right. And, you know, he, he's up there in age. He's going to be 34 this year. But... He has 217 catches over the last two years, 109 in 2015, 108 in 2016. Um, you know, and he's old, but when when guys get up to this age, they've proven that they, you know, can play. That's the reason why they're still in the league. And sure, there's a chance he could fall off a cliff, but I just am not going to buy that with the role that they've given him, more of the slot guy. In PPR, he's still money with all those catches. Um, and really, you look at it, I mean, Carson Palmer has been a little shaky. He was last year. But I still think he's great for fantasy in terms of getting the ball to his pass catchers. Everybody that had David Johnson in PPR leagues uh, obviously realized that last year with all his catches. But, you know, you got DJ there, of course. But there's other questionable wide receivers around him. Um, obviously, Michael Floyd's gone. J.J. Nelson has been very interesting. But he's kind of more of a GPP hit or miss type guy. Um, I love John Brown. And I think he is a buy right now at his price. 
but you know, he had some issues last year with sickle cell and um, concussions and things like that. So that's still a little bit of up in the air as well. And you just got Larry Fitzgerald sitting here um, as just this solid player that is being drafted at wide receiver 31, but he's finished in PPR wide receiver seven and wide receiver 11 the last two years and in standard wide receiver 11 and wide receiver 17. So even if that falls down a little bit, you could still get a little bit of value on him. And that's where I'm looking. Yeah. And, and Adam, before I pass it over to you, I mean, you know, this is an interesting group of guys and it's important to mention, like I said, when we started this, we're talking about value. So that's why, you know, you may say like, there's guys in here that interest you like to me, like Sean Jackson is obviously he piques your interest. But when you think value and you say he's wide receiver 35, I feel like, you know, you're probably getting around where he's at, or maybe he's not even there, you know, at some points so to some people and some, you know, setups and everything. So I, I think Larry Fitzgerald sort of seems like the safe pick, but also the right pick as far as value is concerned. Um, because obviously that's the key in this segment here that we're doing. So Adam, um, are you with old man Larry on his retirement run here or are you going to lead him somewhere else? Yeah, right now we are talking about my uh, single most owned player in MFL 10s currently. So I am a huge Larry Fitzgerald proponent this year. Nice. And honestly, the number one reason that I am a big fan of Larry Fitzgerald this year is because he had a 100% snap share in that offense last year. Nice. He did not miss a single snap. We're talking about a guy who right now is age 33 and he's still elite. Larry he didn't miss Fitzgerald. a single snap last year? No, he didn't miss a single snap last that's year. Crazy. That's crazy. Awesome. Perfect. <laughs> that's he so saw crazy. every single snap. He led the league in receptions with 108. He yes. still has Carson Palmer there. Nothing has changed. And ultimately, we're talking about an offense last year that had a running back that caught over 80 passes. Mm-hmm. So unless we expect DJ to do that again, which is very possible, still a ton of opportunity for Larry Fitzgerald to be a giant target hog in that offense. I think one of the greatest things that ever happened with Larry Fitzgerald is as he got older, they moved him to that slot flanker role. He is now that number one option on every read. He has this awesome relationship with Carson Palmer and his workout ethic is amazing. I think Larry Fitzgerald is a hall of fame talent and we all know it. And I think that people are just overlooking him because we have all this exciting young hype. I mean, we just talked about some guys who, you know, right now Terrell Pryor is going 10 picks higher. I'm taking Larry Fitzgerald over Terrell Pryor every single time. And that's why right now my ownership of Pryor, even though I love him, is so low because Larry Fitzgerald has this super high floor and he has that high ceiling. I mean, ultimately for me, there is no guy right now that is a better value in MFL 10s. And if you're, you know, crazy and doing redraft right now, he's the best value in redraft too i think he's going overlooked everyone kind of thinks that he's just going to fall off the age cliff but if he was going to fall off the age cliff he'd start showing that decline now there's been a lot of people who have talked about how over the past two seasons towards the end of the year his stats have kind of fallen off and for fantasy purposes that means that in your fantasy playoffs you run the risk of him being a guy who sort of falls off at the end of the year he also you know wasn't a huge red zone threat ultimately he only had six touchdowns last year but i think he's due for some positive regression he had a 24.7 percent red zone target share last year that was number 14 in the league so he's still a huge target in the red zone 
ultimately with a catch rate of 71.5%, like he maintained last year, a top 20 catch rate. I think it's one of those situations where he just didn't find the end zone as much as he could. I see that number improving. I think his receptions might drop down a little bit, but even if they do, those two are going to balance themselves out. And for me, Larry Fitzgerald has that top 12 upside. And right now with his ADP, they've baked in so much of his floor. Exactly. I think there is no one I'm looking to target more. Honestly, for me in drafts right now, I'm having to wait on Larry Fitzgerald because I know I can. And it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, scared that I'm just going to have too many shares of him by the end of the time <laughs> I'm done drafting MFL 10s because I'm going real high volume this year. And right I now, you, I mean, I have him in over 50% of my drafts so mm-hmm. far. I haven't drafted him, at, or I haven't drafted a ton of drafts at this point. But for me, it's just, it seems like a no brainer. And I don't understand the prediction that he's going to fall off a cliff. I mean, for me, I love he it. just has an insane work ethic. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's just that he's boring. Right. And people always, you know, we, we draft names, right. But that's not actually what we're doing. We're drafting the end of the year stat line. Right. And, you know, people look at Larry Fitzgerald and think he's old and think he's boring and don't draft him. But if you look at the numbers and see how productive he's been, um, again, like you said, even if he falls down a little bit, he still could be a value. And he's so consistent in that offense. And I forgot to say, the other beautiful thing about Larry Fitzgerald in his slot role, the Cardinals don't have a tight end. So he basically doubles as the wide receiver one and the tight end on the Cardinals. And that's a super valuable role. Now, obviously, that could change in the draft. But right now, based on what we can go off of, even though he's old, his role is still extremely valuable. And he hasn't shown us very many signs at all that he's going to fall off a cliff. And so I love I love what you're doing with that over 50% exposure, there, yeah. like the value yeah. that you can get him. Really quick, even to echo that, Bruce Arians throughout his coaching career has never designed plays for the tight end. So even if they draft a tight end, it's not really a situation where it's going to be a high receiving volume for the tight end. So yeah, I mean, he is going to be a target hog again this year, unless we see some crazy breakout from John Brown or J.J. Nelson, which in a lot of ways to me actually helps him because it's going to take defenses and make them scheme for these other guys. And you have to scheme for the most amazing receiver that we've probably seen since LaDainian Tomlinson coming out of the backfield. I mean, there is so much that just points in his favor that I just am so perplexed by his ADP right now, but I'm loving it. Yeah. I mean, I'm McDonald's all over this. I'm yeah, this is, this is this there. Is, you go, <laughs> Larry Fitzgerald. He just got so much love. This show, this episode feels like it's sponsored by Larry Fitzgerald. Um, <laughs> that that was some pre- pretty incredible takes, guys. Um, so Larry Fitzgerald, we definitely it seems like he won the value award on this episode <laughs> so far. Um, and John Brown, wide receiver, forty six. If he can stay healthy, they sounds like they've got sickle cell under control. The only thing he did wrong last year was get hurt. I love John Brown at that price too. Yeah, it'll be it's gonna be a good team. And, and like I said, Larry Fitzgerald, Palm. It seems like this is the retirement run for them. You know, you you got to assume they want to go out with a bang and give it their all. So we expect nothing but good things. And as long as, you know, barring good health. So that's the, that's the main thing. Um, the next group of guys we got are current. They're, they're their number ones on their current teams. And they're going a little bit later than the, than your natural number ones. Uh, we got Rashard Matthews at wide receiver 42, which is in the seventh round. We have Eric Decker at wide receiver 43 at the 7-8 turn. Uh, Cameron Meredith, wide receiver 44 in the eighth. And Pierre Garcon, wide receiver, forty-five at the eight-nine turn. Um, let's let uh, Ben start this one off. Um, let me just say that you guys did an amazing job picking out all this value because I love all four of these guys. Like I don't know how to choose, but um, credit to I, I, 
I guess if you're going to force me to, um, I would say Richard Matthews just because of the four. And obviously, again, their value is right there um, together. Of the four, Richard Matthews has, to me, by far the best quarterback. He has a quarterback situation that doesn't have any uncertainty, whereas all three of the other guys do. Um, and I just really like Richard Matthews. I liked him last year, and it took a little while to pan out. But, um, you know, there was a reason for that. And, you know, we, we talk about irrational coaching decisions, and, and they do happen. Um, and for whatever reason, the Titans started uh, Andre Johnson at the beginning of the season. And Rashard Matthews was not a full-time receiver because right. of that. Right. And, you know, I think they were the only ones in the world that didn't realize that Andre Johnson was washed. But that became apparent pretty quickly. And I don't even – did he retire in the middle of the year? Like, he didn't play much at he, all. I think he, so, did, he just signed a deal with the Texans, I think, to retire as a Texan. To retire, so, yeah. Yeah, so he's yeah I don't – yeah, I don't know what happened there in the middle of the year, but – Rashard Matthews did not see a snap share over 75% until week seven last year. Okay, that's per player profiler. And yet he finished as wide receiver 19. Um, yeah. You know, Kendall Wright is gone. The 42 targets are gone. Um, the The number three wide receiver right now is Harry, Harry Douglas, which is just absolutely the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Harry Douglas is terrible. Um, you know, everybody expects Tennessee to bring in a high-end wide receiver. So I think that's partially why his ADP is so low and just the fact that this is another one of those guys that just goes underappreciated. Um, and, and I wouldn't be shocked at all to see a Corey Davis or somebody like that brought in. But we don't know yet. And even if they do, I mean, Matthews has been very good for two years now, going back to before he got hurt playing um, in Miami with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. He was solid that year too. And so regardless of if they bring somebody in or not, and again, we don't even know at this point, and you know, we, we were talking about it before the show, why, you know, even if we think a prospect is a can't miss, look at what happened with Laquan Treadwell last year. We know this dude is good. We've seen it the last two years. He's playing with one of the best quarterbacks in the league, who I also think goes a little bit underappreciated. And I think that's probably it, too, is, you know, this offense is kind of looked at as a running offense because of all the this exotic smash mouth and all this stuff. And that's true. They do like to run the ball a lot. But Mariota is so good when he's throwing. Um, he's, you know, he's going to be throwing to Richard Matthews. And, you know, I guess it's a little bit of a projection, but if he plays 80, 90, 100% of the snaps all year like he did not do last season, there's even room for more upside here, as crazy as it sounds. So, again, I'll take Rashard Matthews at wide receiver 42 when he was the wide receiver 19 last season. And until I see what happens in the draft, there's really nothing that's changed. Yeah, that's a, it's a perplexing value. It's, it's crazy that the ADP is there. And I love your choice of Matthews. The other guy that interests me the most on here is probably Meredith. Um, we kind of know what Decker and Garcon are, and I feel like they're they're good at this value. But Meredith is the other guy that you know interests me, and of course everyone's scared because of Glennon. So um, Matthews is definitely my choice here, but I want Meredith to be good so bad, and I want Glennon to be good so bad just for Meredith. So th that, that's the other interesting guy to me, and I actually have a lot of shares of both of these guys. But uh, Matthews is definitely my choice as well. Adam, are you going to go with one of the older ones, or are you leaning with these younger guys? Yeah, I mean. Meredith is great, but Mike Glennon is god awful. Yeah, that's so, that's so unfortunately, I mean, yeah, Bears fan. I, I I love Cameron Meredith. I mean, his breakout last year was super exciting. I was oh, really yeah. excited to see what he would do this year. But as I've already mentioned, and we'll continue to hype on, I think the Bears are throwing away their season. Can we so trade him somewhere? He's the only one. 
What's that? Can we trade Meredith to another team, man? Can we? You know, please, no. please. Well, speaking of <laughs> trades, we're about to get into my guy. So not necessarily a trade, nice, but uh, something that Matt Kelly has brought up on the Roto Underworld pod is that Eric Decker could be a cut candidate. Mm-hmm. And they are looking to potentially rebuild in uh, New York. Ultimately, I mean, they still have Matt Forte there. So maybe they think that, you know, that offense can do something this year. But for me, the biggest value here is Eric Decker. I will echo what Ben said. I think Rashard Matthews is a huge value here as well. And I'll also say, I think Pierre Garçon is a value here as yes, well. Yes, we got to give him some love. For me, he's going to be a target hog in a Kyle Shanahan offense, and that that's huge. So, but, Adam, before you go on, just to be clear, are you saying Decker is the value whether he's, whether he's a Jet or not, or you think he's just not going to be a Jet, and that's why you're saying he's the value? So ultimately, Eric Decker for me is a value whether he's a Jet or not. Now, I will add the caveat that if, you know, the Jets are starting a rookie quarterback or, you know, they, I mean, ultimately, I I really, I just, I don't know what the Jets are doing. I think the only thing that makes sense is that they're going to draft a quarterback high. Um, For me, it really just depends who they draft. I mean, I've made it very abundantly clear that I do not believe that Deshaun Watson has the ability to be a successful NFL quarterback. So for me, he's out, but uh, you know, for best case scenario for me would be if they were to trade down and get like a Patrick Mahomes for him. Mahomes quarterback one. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's my quarterback one in this rookie class as well. I like all this agreeing we're doing. (laughs) Yeah, no, I got to start, you know, I got to start arguing with you guys. I got to play devil's advocate just to, just to get some controversy here. Yeah. But so I, you know, I'll, I'll throw out the card controversy for me. In this range, you can only get one of these guys if you're drafting them based solely on ADP. And ultimately, for me, that's Eric Decker. What we've seen from Eric Decker over the course of his career is that he is a gigantic red zone threat. His last healthy season, he led the league in red zone target share and had 12 touchdowns in that time. He just ultimately is a guy who I think is extremely efficient in the red zone, has shown it year after year after year. He's able to be efficient with even somebody like Tim Tebow throwing him the ball. So even if he's got a rookie throwing yep. to him, even if it's Deshaun Watson, I think he can outdo this ADP. And that's saying a lot. I really hate Deshaun Watson. So uh, <laughs> with, with all that in mind, for me, he is the pick in this range because he has an upside that I think – basically is unmatched. I, I think Rashard Matthews definitely, I mean, he could have that elite upside. De- Decker, Decker, me, Decker Decker has the um, the injury risk too, right? I mean, we're not sure he's going to bounce back from that 100% either. True. He does. True. That, that, I mean, that is definitely true. That is baked in here. and, and That's definitely me, baked in though, for sure. Yeah. yeah the, I mean, the, that's baked in big time when you're drafting him in the 40 range. I mean, what we're drafting him at right now is outside of last year, Yes. Way beyond what his floor has been for throughout sure. his entire career. For sure. So, yeah, and you win fantasy leagues by attacking recency bias. That's yep. exactly what you're doing with Eric Decker. It like you know, like we were getting at, if he doesn't get hurt, he's not being drafted here. Because just to piggyback, um, five seasons in a row before he got hurt last year, he'd either had eight touchdowns or nine hundred yards every season. You know, like what what has been brought up, that's been done with Tebow. That's been done with um, multiple quarterbacks in New York. It's not just been Peyton Manning. It's been Geno Smith, all types of guys. Like the dude is just solid. 
So I, I agree. I mean, like I said, I like all four of these guys. Decker has produced every single year. Even if he stays in New York, I would agree, even though it's probably going to be a bad quarterback situation. Brandon Marshall is already gone. And so that volume is going to be there. And we all know that volume, um, you know, is king. And I, I did a bumpers not that long ago where I talked a little bit about this and about attacking recency bias. And Eric Decker just was the name that came to mind because this is a dude that is produced year in and year out. But because he got hurt last year, that's the only bad thing he did. Now all of a sudden right. we're going to draft him lower because we didn't see him on the field. Yeah. It's good. It's, yeah, it's, the it's only thing that I will add is if we are putting like an MFL 10 spin on it, this is a range where between Matthews, Decker, and Garcon, I am going to have ownership of all three of those guys and probably a lot of ownership with these ADPs. I think that, oh, yeah. you know, the thing that we're probably noticing a lot here is that they're a, a ton of wide receivers. And the thing we see every year is, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of injuries. A lot of these guys are going to fall off because of injury struggles. And, you know, we're going to see a lot of these guys who are being drafted in this 40 range vault up into the top 20. But this is how you win fantasy drafts. Yep. These are the guys that you win with, are guys who you're drafting, and they drastically exceed their ADP. So for me, Decker presents the best opportunity for that, but Richard Matthews is very close behind, and I think Pierre Garçon's target volume in San Francisco makes him someone who is very intriguing Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. You attack recency bias, and you take advantage of market inefficiencies. Um, and yeah, like j- just to one more point on Pierre Garçon – again, we don't know who the quarterback is going to be, but if you told me, if you guaranteed me that it was going to be Brian Hoyer all season, I would absolutely love that because even though Hoyer is not a phenomenal NFL quarterback, the dude can get the ball to his pass catchers in fantasy. He has proven that um, multiple times. And so if that was the case, knowing he's the wide receiver one with all the volume that's going to come his way, with all the positive game flow that's going to come his way because the team's going to be bad and Kyle Shanahan's there. I mean, that's why I said I love all of these guys because, yeah, I I will take Garcon there all day. And that's the reason why we were talking about this before we started recording. Like, that's why in a dynasty startup, I started with Lev Bell so I could get a stud who has all the opportunity in the world, at least you know, for the short term, short term, and then I could just pile up on all these wide receivers because there's so many, and that correlates to uh, you know season long into MFL tens. Like you don't necessarily have to start wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, like we have in the past because of all of these values. And there's more. We're about to talk about more. Right, so right. it's just blowing my mind. Yeah, yeah. Let's get to these last guys because these now are double digit round um, wide receivers, and so you know we just seen there's a ton of value you know earlier than this but now we're seeing more value here and so they're gonna throw out three names at you guys it's marvin jones at wide receiver 54 and he's at the 10 11 turn we got mike wallace wide receiver 57 at the 11 12 turn and we have kenny stills wide receiver 59 in the 12th um adam go ahead and start this one off all right so for me in this range there's only one guy who I've really been targeting heavily. Um, that being said, I, I, again, I think this is kind of a similar situation where with these guys where they're at in ADP, you know, they, they definitely have the potential to exceed this. Uh, with this particular situation, though, for me, it's Mike Wallace. I think that 
what he was able to show last year is that he is a lot more than just that traditional deep threat on an offense. I think with Brashad Perriman having another year under his belt opposite him, it's only going to support him in that offense. With Danny Woodhead now as a receiving back on the uh, out of the backfield, there's definitely going to be a little bit of a target drop, but they're going to have a lot more weapons at their disposal, which I think can benefit Mike Wallace in a lot of ways as well. For me, I think that ultimately he's a guy who just unless they're, you know, adding a lot of receivers or they add one of the big two, in my opinion, either a Corey Davis or a Mike Williams, there's not a lot that I see will as, as an immediate threat to Mike Wallace's position on that offense. As we've seen in the past, I mean, Joe Flacco throws a fantastic deep ball. Mike Wallace has been a deep ball receiver over the course of his career. Now, as he's aging, he's shown that he has a lot more tools than that. But for me, he's kind of the best of these sort of double-digit round, late flyer kind of wide receivers. And ultimately, I think that he presents probably the most upside in this range as well, especially if Baltimore doesn't add a wide receiver early and we're basically looking at just him and Brashad Perriman. Yeah, Mike Wallace definitely has a lot of opportunity there. And that's kind of the thing, like you said, it's kind of unshakable at this point unless they, you know, go wide receiver early or something. Um, the only only thing is Woodhead, man. Woodhead is going to take a little bit from him. Um, it's going to be interesting because a lot of people love Woodhead, too, and his value. But I think Mike Wallace is probably the right guy to go. Marvin Jones, interesting that he's here. He started off the year so hot last season and then just kind of disappeared for a while. Um, ben, uh, any chance you go with the guy in Miami? Or are you going to agree with Adam here or what? No, I really like the cut of your guys' jib, man. I'm going to agree with you guys again. Um, I think it's Mike Wallace. And it's kind of crazy for me to say because uh, shout-out to my boy Ryan with the Fantasy Authority. Like, he's heard me say – numerous times that Mike Wallace is trash and you know Wallace <laughs> proved me wrong last year and I, I think this is one of those Larry Fitzgerald situations where Mike Wallace is wide receiver 57 because a lot of people like me look at his name and just just don't like it think it's trash yeah. but at the end of the day that's not true I mean again it all comes down to value and I realized this last year um uh, that was part of what that recency bias and bumpers was talking about is like DeMarco Murray. I hated him last year. Didn't take him, even though I was going with zero RB teams and you could get this dude in like the sixth, seventh, maybe even eighth sometimes. And even though I didn't like him, I should have looked at that value and said, that makes sense. And that's exactly what I'm doing here with Mike Wallace. I mean, he's wide receiver 57. Steve Smith just retired. Okay. Steve Smith was the number one wide receiver when he was there. Um, you know, you can't tell me different. So his 101 targets are gone. Kamar Aiken's 50 targets are gone. And even though Danny Woodhead is coming in, um, which I totally agree with you, Neil, but Kyle Juszczyk's 49 targets are gone too. And so, you know, just some things to keep in mind. And, you know, Mike Wallace already saw 116 targets last season. Rashad Perryman was there last year. Now, obviously he's going to have a bigger impact and he's an exciting guy too um, at, a, at a cheap price at wide receiver 56. So another guy to look at. But, I mean, Mike Wallace, um, uh, wide receiver 57 is unbelievable. The Ravens led the league in pass attempts last year, and they've been throwing it a ton lately. And Wallace finished as wide receiver 22 last season. He had 72 for a thousand, over 1,000 yards and four touchdowns. That netted him wide receiver 22, I believe, in PPR. That's a 35-spot difference. And, again, Steve Smith is gone. So it's just one of those situations where, really, Mike Wallace's situation has improved. 
Right, right. And, and yeah, Seesmith's gone and Perriman, you know, he's there, <laughs> but it's like he's such an injury risk, you still can't ever like count him like 100%. You know, you can't ever just say, oh, he's there, he's going to make a big difference, this and that. You're still, it's like always, it's always a rocky situation with him. Are you talking about Wallace? No, no, well, I'll say with Wallace, but I'm saying Perriman's there. But it's not like you right, never yeah. can, you and, never, and you then, never yeah. can like worry yourself with him because you never know like what is what is what are you really gonna get you know? Exactly. There's still that too, and you know, last year he showed flashes, but is he ready to step up and take the workload that Steve Smith had? That's a huge. That's still a question mark. And so you look at all of these factors: the volume, the fact that Joe Flacco is a pretty good quarterback at least for fantasy, and at his price, I mean, it's just a no brainer. Yeah. I do like Marvin uh, Marvin Jones a lot too. I mean, you know. There's been a lot of work that's shown that these deeper targets that he's he got last year, um, there's going to be variance with that. Again, just look at Allen Robinson's 2015 versus 2016. Right. And we saw Jones pop off early in the season. And, you know, if we would have been drafting at week four, guarantee we wouldn't have gone wide receiver 54. So just another guy that I like from a value standpoint who, if nothing changes, you know, is going to be seeing over 100 targets again from another good quarterback in Stafford. But And, and, and Stills is interesting, too, but he's the number three, and we know Tannehill's not going to be able to support, you know, consistently all these guys. But Mike Wallace, even though he'll be a little up and down, I mean, he should be a guy that you should be able to count on, especially with the volume. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, and volume is the one thing I'm going to echo huge right here in regards to Neil's comment about Danny Woodhead. The biggest things for me that make it a huge arrow up for Mike Wallace is the Ravens led the league last year in team pass plays. Joe Flacco led the league in attempts. And in that, Mike Wallace actually was outside the top 50 in target share. He only had 17.5% of his team's targets. So for me, even with Danny Woodhead coming there, there's still such a huge amount of volume in that offense. And I just, unless they, you know, get some fantastic grinder who, you know, is able to do even more than Terrence West did and they shift the offense, which just seems completely unlikely. Yeah. They're going to be one of the highest pass volume offenses once again. And I think that people are really overlooking that regardless of whether it's Brashad Perriman, Danny Woodhead, Mike Wallace, or even Joe Flacco himself. All these guys in fantasy right now are basically going overlooked. Their ADPs are very low. Yeah. And, you know, I think often in fantasy people get a little bit too entwined with what actual NFL is going to be like I don't think the Ravens are a playoff team I don't think that they're going to you know be able to beat out Pittsburgh this year I don't even know if they're going to be able to beat out Cincinnati but from a fantasy perspective the way in which they run their offense points hugely in the direction of them having an extremely successful pass efficiency rate and just pass volume rate, which volume's everything. I mean, we it's talk everything. often about in fantasy football targets being everything for wide receivers. It's one of the most sticky stats for wide receiver efficiency year over year. And when you have an offense that is going to be throwing the ball more than almost any other offense in the league, or possibly more than every other offense in the league, you've got to be looking at those wide receivers as values, especially when you're getting them this late. There, To me, there's almost no way except for injury that Mike Wallace finishes outside the top 50 at wide receiver. Oh, yeah. Totally agree with you. And I think it's just I, – I, I haven't really thought about it, but 
Uh, I mean, Baltimore is just a team where you think about them, you think about, you know, their defense and you think about, I mean, it just kind of correlates with, oh, great defense, you know, play that type of smash mouth football, run the ball. But, you know, I, they did. that's not what they did last year. They threw the most pass attempts. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. And again, this is where you attack those market inefficiencies. And, and these moves are what, you know, give you a better chance to win leagues. Right. Absolutely. Man, we, we just discussed a whole lot of value, guys. There's a whole lot of value out there. Adam, say, give, give us the name of that segment one more time. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <clears throat> value, value, well, for all thou value. Man, kills it. Kills it, man. Laugh. Take some pride That's too in good. that. That's too good. <laughs> so what we're going to do is, guys, we're going to move over um, to another thing. We're going to talk about some rookies, right? We're all into Dynasty. We all love Dynasty. We all we all got the itch, the bug, whatever you want to call it. So I just wanted to hit on some rookies really quick. Just kind of, you know, who's it's, it's who's the highest? So for each of us, you know, who, who do we have? We're going to go through these groups, kind of like we did with the wide receivers just now, of players and see kind of who we like the most. Um, for whatever reason, who, who's the top guy you'll take in that package of guys that we go over? Um, and, you know, we can doesn't have to, you know, you don't have to go crazy in depth if you don't want to. I know the draft is really close, um, so it's just cool to touch on some of these names um, just to see where we're at with these guys. Um, so the first group is kind of the group that's been discussed probably the most as far as Dynasty is concerned and even just offensive players in the draft in general. Um, and it's the running back, some of the running backs, which is um, Dalvin Cook, uh, McCaffrey, Fournette, and Mixon. Um, these are kind of the running backs everyone has, you know, you, you could hear the argument from anybody, which guy they think is the best and, and why. Um, but Ben, let's start with you. Which one of these guys, if you can only choose one, who is the highest for you? Yeah, man. So judging on Adam's uh, reaction to, to me saying this before the show, maybe we'll have a little bit of a disagreement here, which will be fun. But uh, I'm, I'm going to disagree is, just for the disagreement. Nice. I love it. <laughs> uh, for me, for me, it's Christian McCaffrey. We did a, uh, a rookie mock on um, the TFA pod just the other night. And, um, we, we were trying to figure out some, you know, kind of hot takes to, to, uh, put us in those draft positions. So I was the 1.01 and took McCaffrey cause, um, that that's where I'm at with it. Um, I, I just, I love this dude, especially for, um, you know, I mean, most leagues nowadays are PPR and this dude is just PPR gold. I mean, we, we get, caught up in in the label of running back right and so i think you know it's it's kind of easy for some people to look at mccaffrey um and and just think that you know he's not going to be able to have all these rush attempts and so that could be negative stuff like that but it's just the way that this dude is going to ball out in ppr is he's going to have a five-yard carry on first down Hopefully, again, we don't know landing spots, so you know we just have to look at that. But hopefully, the offensive coordinator and head coach that draft this dude are going to know that on second down, you're going to put him in the slot, hit him for a quick slant for seven yards. Next play, throw a running back screen to him, let him do his thing. Right. And that's just going to be so valuable. And, I mean, he's just such an elite prospect. Like, if you watch his tape... Um, you know, he, he's not a dude, he's not Leonard Fournette. He's not a dude that's just going to be able to truck stick dudes and break all these tackles and get five extra yards after contact on, on all these plays. But McCaffrey has elite vision. He has elite decision-making. He puts that foot in the ground and he gets up there and he get he always gets what is blocked for him, which is why I've talked about if he went to Oakland. Now, this was before March. It sounds like Lynch is going there, that him and Oakland would just be insane because the PPR value and that offensive line would just unlock his upside of 
allowing him to get on the second and third level because on Tate, this dude has such elite vision. He'll start setting defenders up seven to 10 yards um, before they even get up to him. Like the, he's got the short choppy, um, you know, footwork. He's got the elite elusiveness and, and juke moves and stuff like that. And those, those issues, you know, those abilities on the second and third level allow him to rip off huge, huge runs. At least they did in college, but I see similar things in the NFL. I don't think he's going to be, you know, a 25 carry game guy or anything like that, but 15 to 18 carries, five catches a game, something like that. I think um, as long as he's in the right offense, he can be PPR gold in fantasy. And that's who I would take um, first out of all these guys. I'm not mad at that, man. I'm not mad at that. And it's not necessarily the popular opinion right now. So that's why I like that. You know, you you went that way. Um, I'm I'm actually going to go with the guy that was – popular you know as far as popularity goes was one of the top guys you know was the favorite at some point and then kind of has fallen out of favor since the combine and stuff and that's dalvin cook um nice. the, the one reason i say that i mean obviously um you know you can look at metrics you can look at this kind of stuff you can look at film obviously on film he, he pops right there's no question in that he has some crazy ability um the one thing I, i'm thinking about him is i think he's going to go later than people people expect and therefore i think a team that i would like him to be on is going to be the one that takes him and i just so so i just feel like his opportunity will be better um at least if we're talking about this upcoming year um obviously if you're talking dynasty who knows all these guys you know have crazy ability but i just feel like he's going to start on a better team um than the rest of these guys and therefore i I just like his chances straight out the gate um and i like his versatility um so yeah again it's it's obviously we're splitting hairs with a lot of these guys and who really knows but oh yeah cook is my guy if i had to choose one of them right now is my guy um adam you got a different one than the rest of us? Or are you going to play, I agree with you guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to some extent I am playing, I'm going to agree with you guys. <laughs> the one thing that I will say is from a talent perspective, there is no more talented person in this draft than Joe Mixon. He might be someone who two years ago did something that is despicable. Um, that being stated, from a talent perspective, he is off the charts exciting i don't know um what he's going to or i'm sorry i don't know where he's going to get drafted and uh giant shout out to 14 team mocker over at rotoviz because mocker was kind of the first one for me who really um pushed the idea of draft capital and ultimately i think that's the thing that for me has me worried about Mixon. Um, there's a lot of talk that, I mean, I don't expect him to go in the first round, but there's talk that he could fall out of the second and third round. And if that happens, he could end up on a team that, you know, as talented as he is, might not believe in him as much as I do. Now, right. that being said, from a dynasty perspective, I think that he's the ultimate lottery ticket, but I don't spend lottery tickets on my 101 or 102 in drafts. Now, Ben was hinting at the fact that I had said something uh, ahead of the podcast regarding Christian McCaffrey as the 101 in Dynasty. For me, that's actually just a positional thing. Uh, I think Corey Davis has a lead upside. We'll get to that. And for me, he's my 101 in Dynasty. But Christian McCaffrey is my running back one. Uh, (laughs) I'm really curious. Did you guys by chance see the tweet that he put out yesterday? Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, absolutely. I'm still drooling. Basically, his his legs are a blur. Yeah. So fast. It is insane. (laughs) I'm man crushing hard over here, man. Oh, I mean, you know. People were asking if the video is sped up and everything. 
Oh, yeah, that was my favorite. Yeah, no, I, I don't mean, think it was. There were man. people arguing about it. There was somebody who even went and found the commercial that's playing on the television and then linked a YouTube video to explain that 100% it is not sped up because you oh can gosh. time it against it. And, <laughs> I mean, like, the, the things that people go into just to, you know, prove that someone was faking it. Like, really, Christian McCaffrey's going to put out his own video and speed it up Listen, like he needs to. The internet is funny. Yeah, because I, I this, never once thought is, it was This sped is up. the thing, guys. That's this just who is he is. the ultimate tape and metrics debate. Because <laughs> tape, you guys can have that argument. Oh, is it sped up? I don't know. Oh, I have this judgment call. I don't know if what I'm seeing is true. Let me make my judgment call. That's my problem with someone watching tape watching film has so much judgment involved if you want to know how fast his feet are hmm, let's look at his metrics okay how fast was his you know overall agility well on playerprofiler.com he right now had an agility score of 10.79 which is a 97th percentile agility rating this guy is unbelievable he's incredible i mean you know, I think that there's a lot of people who kind of outside of the fantasy community, maybe even outside of the NFL community, think about the idea of a white running back and <laughs> just are perplexed because the last yes. time that we even thought a white running back was good, it was Peyton Hillis. And let's be honest, he wasn't good. <laughs> he had a good Peyton. season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> shout out Peyton Hillis. Shout out Madden curse. Who was the one that played you for know, the Vikings? I feel like he was the last one. Mike, uh, uh, he got drafted by the Vikings. No, no, he got drafted by the Vikings, and I think he played with the Jaguars. Oh, Toby oh, Gerhardt. Yeah, Toby was Toby the last Gerhardt one. Toby wasn't good. What are you uh, doing? No, he, he, was a hyped, uh, he was hyped not, up, though. He's not in Peyton Hillis's class. I actually, he started <laughs> with the Broncos. I used to read a Broncos blog, and the dude talked about how um, some guy he went to college with was the one that created a um, at, what the computer cheat code or whatever it was to vote for Peyton Hillis over and over and over and over. And that was the reason why he won the Madden vote. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's amazing. So but the anyway, only things that I, I will digress. say, there, there are a few knocks on Christian McCaffrey. And this is why from a talent perspective, for me, Joe Mixon is a more talented player. Christian McCaffrey is the best dynasty pick because he has such a high floor from what he's able to do in the receiving game. And right now we're seeing a giant switch, um, giant shout out to um, the uh, late round QB podcast that JJ Zacharyson just started up. Uh, I oh, apologize. So awesome. I don't remember who the guest was on the most recent podcast, but he was a uh, former NFL scout. His name is slipping my mind. Thank you. Matt Williamson was on recently and Matt Williamson actually said a really brilliant thing in explaining how the college game has developed over the course of time. If you haven't had a chance to listen, please go listen to that. I, I assume if you're listening to us, you've got to be listening to JJ. He's one of the best minds in the fantasy industry right now. And ultimately, what was addressed on that podcast was that from a college perspective, the you know universities that have the best scouts and have the you know highest accolades as far as what they're able to do from a recruiting perspective are able to get these awesome, huge guys on the offensive line. And there are so few gigantic 280 plus pound, six foot strong guys who can push around an offensive line to be able to have a strong running game. So what we've seen in the college game is that we now have a much more spread offense look 
And the spread offense plays to guys who are fast, who are agile, who are able to be very quick. Because what you need in that sort of spread offense when you're having these tough defenses who have these big guys who you're up against is you need the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly. So what we're seeing is a change in the style of how the college game's played. We've seen that there's now this push to really get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly. And Christian McCaffrey is a product of that style of play. With him in mind, I think he is the running back in this class who is least dependent on fit. And ultimately, I think guys like you know, my, my knocks on players like Dalvin Cook and even Leonard Fournette, who I do think is an underrated pass catcher, but is nowhere Agreed. near the class that Christian McCaffrey's in. I think uh, for even Joe Mixon, to some extent, they need an offensive line that's going to open up holes for them. Christian McCaffrey is able to do it on the outside and he's able to do a lot in the passing game so that he doesn't need that. So for me, he is the running back to target in your dynasty drafts. He is ultimately a guy who is going to come in right away and able to have a floor of a player like, you know, a a Duke Johnson or, you know, even like a younger Danny Woodhead. I mean, I don't expect him to blow up right away, but he, he has that floor of kind of what Danny Woodhead was on the New England Patriots. And then as far as the ceiling. I mean, I've heard the comp of Brian Westbrook. I mean, ultimately, I think that we haven't really seen a player like what McCaffrey is in the passing game. Exactly. I mean, ultimately, what we see in the NFL right now, I don't even like using this comparison because, you know, David Johnson wasn't this highly touted coming out of school, and he wasn't a guy who everybody was thinking was going to be the best back in his class, but he obviously has became that. But from a perspective of a running back who can catch 80-plus balls, Christian McCaffrey is a guy who can do that. And honestly, he could do that in his rookie year if he fits the right system. Oh, yeah. So for me, he is someone who I am super excited about. Ultimately, you know, I'm a guy who in Dynasty, I normally trade away my early picks. I even traded away a 101 in a draft this year because for me, that's just not how I build my Dynasty teams early. But... If you are holding one of those picks, Christian McCaffrey, for me, is a guy that you have to look at. So a couple of things real quick. Um, it's, it is it it is interesting to hear, um, you know, we do this all the time, the film versus metrics thing. We had Elliot Chris on the other night, and he, you know, he's a dude that watches a ton of tape for Pro Football Focus. And it was really interesting to hear his viewpoints. And I really had to kind of confront my own thought process because I've, you know, I like both. Um, I think both are extremely important, but I really had to confront it. And I really do side um, with the film just a little bit more. I think there's a lot of value in that. And then I love using the metrics to go and and kind of use that as the test for my eyes. And, you know, like you said with McCaffrey, the dude, you know, it's amazing on film. I was alluding to that earlier, but then he shreds the combine and just kind of proves you right. One of the fastest three cones, I think, you know, that has been run by a running back in the last 10 years. Right. And uh, one of the things that Elliot said the other night was he thinks that McCaffrey could be like a top five wide receiver if he wanted to be. Now, I thought that was a little bit high, but it just goes to show how good this dude can be as a receiver. And again, if you're getting those points, you know, Adam brought up David Johnson. If you're getting those points in the run game and the pass game um, combined, especially in PPR, it's just so valuable. And again, I think because it was brought up earlier, because this is a white running back and we really haven't seen it in the past. I had a, I had a buddy um, 
a couple months ago telling me that, you know, McCaffrey was not going to end up being that good because we've never seen a, a white running back like this be that good. And I, I just kept arguing because I had just watched this tape. I'm like, this is different. This is different. This dude is elite. And I truly believe it. Um, and, and I really think that upside is there in both the, the, the run game and the pass game. I will say, um, you know, because again, I totally agree. He is the, uh, he is the fit that it, it he's really, um, independent he does not it does not matter as much where he goes because he is literally the running back for the new offense like you're talking about this day and age offense right right if Fournette does go to Carolina in standard leagues there's a ton of value in that right because that means Carolina is saying we're putting this draft capital in you or wherever he goes a team is going to be putting this high draft capital in him um ideally if they're doing that, they should be forming the offense around him. And so he's going to be very valuable in standard. I like him a lot too. And I do also agree with you, Adam, at the end of the day, I do think uh, going back to the whole tape thing, watching Joe Mixon play, I do agree that he's the most talented back in the draft, but I stick with McCaffrey being the best back in the class because I'm also taking into account draft capital because we know McCaffrey's going um, like by pick 20 at the latest, right? So that's coming into play. Um, and, and also, again, getting back to the point of people saying that Christian, Mc, you know, I think that we're underrating what he can do as an actual running back too. Because if you look at his production at Stanford in a pro-style offense, he was a beast at just running the football as well. And again, I talked a little bit about what makes him so good there too. So at the end of the day, got to go with McCaffrey. <laughs> Man, that... This is this is the, this is why this debate can live on forever, man. Because there's just so many different ways to look at it. So much different, you know, metrics, film guys, this that. There's so much different ways to go. We could have did who's the highest, just these four guys probably, and we would have had a great <laughs> great segment. <laughs> you know, I gotta say, after uh, after Jen agreeing with every Neil take yesterday, it's nice to get the opposite side. Yeah, see, see, Jen came on here, man. <laughs> she came on here and agreed with me on a lot of stuff, and you know, Adam's not used to that. So now Adam's trying to, you know, you guys are agreeing on a lot. Adam's trying to milk that. Listen, it's all right. It's all right, guys. I, I feel like we've all three gotten along enough. No, in this we have. Pod. You know, we, have. we can disagree. We can disagree from from time to time, and who knows? Maybe we will a little bit here moving forward. Well, we have another one that's much debated. I, I just I don't know if you guys are going to disagree on it, man. But Davis and Williams, we mentioned them a little bit. Obviously, everyone again has. We, I've seen full out Twitter battles over this over this situation. Um, so Davis or Williams, does, do either one of you want to go first? Or I mean, you guys can just come together and agree right now. However, you guys want to take this. Um, I'm going to go Williams just because I think you're both going to say Corey Davis. But I'm just going <laughs> to come out and now I'm going to say Williams. I'm going to say he he jumps up and gets the ball like no one else. Um, you know, he's just one of those guys that maybe people, again, you guys are, you guys love metrics and stuff. His yards per catch isn't, isn't exactly high because he's getting these amazing catches where there is no need for yards after catch. So I'm going to say Williams, I'm playing devil's advocate because I don't believe either one of you will say Williams, but now that I say that you guys may try me, but I still think I'm just going to go with Williams and then let's hear both of you talk about Davis. Um, who wants to go first? I'll go, go ahead, Adam. Start, I've, I've already shown my hand. I mean, I already said Corey Davis for me is the 101. And honestly, Corey Davis is kind of the weird outlier because I'm a metrics guy. You know, everybody kind of knows that listening to this podcast. I'm a guy who talks about metrics a lot. And he basically was like, nah, I don't need to do the combine. And <laughs> honestly, I think it was a brilliant move for him because from a college production standpoint, he was one of the most 
dominant college wide receivers that we've seen come out in ages. Ultimately, he had a 51.6% college dominator score and player profile. If in case you're not familiar with what that means, that is the percentage of yards and touchdowns of his college offense. That means he was over half of what the offense was for Western Michigan. Now, I know you hear Western Michigan, it's not a huge school, so ultimately him being over 50% is not something that seems as crazy, but he was a guy who, you know, he's been great his entire college career. He was fantastic his freshman year, his sophomore year. He's a guy who's shown over the course of his college career that he can be great. And in turn, the guy we're comparing him against, Mike Williams, is someone who didn't show that. Mike Williams, to me, you know, it's not like a huge knock on him. I do think that he's probably still number two wide receiver in this draft. But the thing that Neil talked about is a positive. I'll talk about as a negative. Mike Williams was able to beat college quarterbacks or cornerbacks. Sorry. God, we're going long. I'm saying words <laughs> wrong at this point. <laughs> But ultimately, Mike Williams was a guy who was able to not get a lot of separation, but really just out-muscle wide receivers. Or, I'm sorry, God, man. Out-muscle his cornerbacks. So much Davis love. You can't even talk about Williams straight, man. Come on. I know, right? So so Mike Williams, though, he he was a guy who, against these college-level cornerbacks, was able to out-muscle them and really push them around. That's something I just don't envision him being able to do at the NFL level. He's going so to. For me, you know, he very well could, but for him to do that would be an outlier. And for me, I don't bank on outliers. So ultimately, like I said, you know, he's a guy who he's still my number two. I don't think that there's anyone who I feel as confident in in regards to what they've been able to do at the college level. So for me, you know, Mike Williams is still right there, but Corey Davis just possesses this elite upside. And I, I, you know, I wish that he actually did the combine because I think I'd have a lot more perspective on how to judge him moving forward. But really, I mean, again, shout out to 14 team mocker. For me, there is going to be a lot involved in what they're you know, draft capital is and their fit because Corey Davis to me is a guy who might have a little bit wider of a fit, but Mike Williams is a guy who, if he gets into an offense with a quarterback who is willing to just throw him a ton of targets in coverage. And like Neil said, he's able to do what he did in college and just out muscle cornerbacks, even at the NFL level, then he could be a guy who, you know, has this elite upside. But for me, Corey Davis is safer and still possesses that elite upside. So he's he's my 101 right now. Yeah, I like both these guys. I'm not, um, you know, one of these super negative dudes on Mike Williams right now. It's really tough for me to do rankings as I'm still kind of new to this. Um, but I do agree. I think Mike Williams would be my number two. Um, you know, like the size, like the Alshon Jeffrey type ability. I kind of like that comparison. Um, I think he separates enough. Um, I think you see that on tape. I think Matt Harmon's reception perception painted that picture. And I don't really understand why we're all still hung up on this fact that he's not going to be able to. I get that the uh, competition is going to be tougher. Um, and, and I agree with that. But he, he has that elite ability to, to beat it with, um, you know, his ability to feel the cornerback and feel the pressure and use his body to make these catches. 
Um, so I like him a lot, but I do agree. Corey Davis is my number one. Um, Adam already alluded to it. Um, I, I like to go the opposite route than like just saying the numbers for these uh, player profilers just because I don't really understand what they mean unless they're put into a percentile. So, I mean, you explained it really well, Adam, but 96th percentile college dominator, 95th percentile breakout age, 77th percentile college yards per catch. And Adam already talked about it. He's produced for four years in college. And not only did he produce all four years, but he played really well against the power conferences when he faced them. Anthony Miko has done a good job of showing um, those charts as well. So just the production and some of these measurables that we have been able to test off the charts, really like what I see on film, like both these guys a lot. But if you make me choose, I'm going with Corey Davis. Nice, nice. All right, guys. I mean, we broke down those two pretty deep. We got a bunch of other names here. I'm trying to think if we can kind of bunch all these guys into a group here um, and, and make it make it pure madness for you guys. Because um, <laughs> I'm seeing a trend here. I'm going to see if I can bundle this up. So, all right, listen, the next group, I'm going to make it deep for you guys. I'm going to make this very difficult. Um, Freeman, running back Freeman. We got Kareem Hunt. We got Samaja. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that right. Um, John Ross, Ben's boy, OJ Howard. I'm going to make this difficult as hell. Um, and Juju, all these guys, you can only pick one. It was meant to be two, but now you only pick one. I want to see what you guys do with this. Adam. Uh, okay. Adam, I want Adam to go first and then Ben. Okay. Cause I want to see what you, I want to see what you guys do. So Adam, go ahead and go first. Tell me out of those six guys, you can only pick one. Well, this is fun because I think we, are, I think you and I already know where Ben's going with this. So <laughs> I, I really expected him to go first, but uh, nope, no, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll jump out and I'll say that uh, right now for me, my number three wide receiver in this class, and actually it's really close between him and Mike Williams, is Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, if this were a conversation we were having last year, Juju was the guy. Everybody seemed to be talking him up as kind of this elite level talent and his senior year just didn't go as well as was expected but for me he ultimately is someone who has that sort of metrics accolade that that gets me excited I think that you know when when I'm looking at this this sort of range so now we're getting into the you know, 107 and beyond in your rookie draft. I want a guy who possesses elite upside. So for me, that's Juju Smith-Suster. On player profiler, his number one comparable player is DeAndre Hopkins. So that kind of gives a little window into what his upside can be. So for me, when I'm approaching a dynasty rookie draft and I'm getting past those guys who I feel really confident in, I'm drafting pure upside. And for me, Juju has the hugest upside of the guys you named. Gotcha. Ben, yeah. even, even even when we're making this a bigger group, are you still going OJ? I am. Um, I, I, really, I will say I, that's a very interesting take. I mean, again, Juju produced two years ago very well. Um, 93rd percentile breakout age, very young. So I, I, I like that a lot as I'm kind of still kind of trying to formulate my thoughts on, on Juju. Um, but for me, yeah, it is OJ Howard. Um, like, cause my thinking here is again, with these bus rates, with these rookie drafts being pretty high, um, wide receiver, it's still hard for me to kind of determine once we get past 
Um, I think Juju shows flashes and things like that. For me, it, it came down to O.J. Howard versus John Ross. Um, I think John Ross has that elite speed and all of that that makes it pretty interesting. I like this take. Uh, but for me, it's O.J. Howard, and I went on a longer rant on the Fantasy Authority pod um, with Elliot Chris just the other night, but I'll just kind of summarize it. I just I think that this dude, um, even though usually tight ends take a while to – translate. I really don't think that's going to be the case for OJ Howard. I think it's going to be a pretty seamless transition. Uh, he does everything well. Um, his best comparable on player profiler is Greg Olson. And I just think that is such an amazing comp. Um, be- first of all, just because he's black and Greg Olson's white and I love when we <laughs> compare players like that. But I mean, it's just the same player. Like Greg Olson never leaves the field. He And that's one of, what's, that's one of the things that makes him so valuable. I think whoever drafts OJ Howard um, we know it's going to be in the top 15. This dude's a stud. He's an elite blocker. Like you watch this dude. Um, he blocks in line. He blocks out, out lined up as a slot wide receiver and he punishes dudes. And what that's going to do is allow him to be on the field on literally every snap. And that gives the offensive coordinator so much versatility in play calling because if OJ Howard blocks five times, five plays in a row, And now the offensive coordinator goes with the play action where O.J. Howard is the number one read on the play and the defense and the linebackers have no idea if he's blocking or running a pass route. So he gets open in space. Now this dude is a beast breaking in the open space. He's a beast breaking tackles. He has great hands. I'm not worried about his production in college whatsoever. He played with a very bad quarterback last year. If you go back and look at what Greg Olson did in college, he didn't really have elite stats at all either. And, you know, he was still drafted in the first round because that's what's going to happen with O.J. Howard. I mean, this dude, 97 percentile 40-yard dash, 98 percentile height-adjusted speed score, 97 percentile agility score, 85 percentile catch radius, 86 percentile spark X. I mean, we had Elliot Christ on. He talked about, you know, he wouldn't be shocked if this dude is a top five tight end in year one. And that's kind of my point is what puts it over the top for me. I know there's very well-respected analysts out there. I believe I've heard Rich Rebar say it, where he just doesn't draft tight ends in the first round of rookie drafts. And I'm new to this. So maybe I'm a fist from that standpoint, but to me, I'm taking OJ Howard um, at the 1.07 after those top six, just because I feel like he is very, very close to a can't miss prospect and one of these dudes at a position that is so horrible right now that can give me stability for 10 years to come. Got it. Yeah, you guys broke that down so well. I'm not going to even jump in the mix. The only thing I'm going to say is cause this guy it really isn't with these guys as far as how high he's being drafted. But don't don't sleep on Kareem Hunt, guys. That's all I'm saying. He's not going to be drafted where those two guys are, obviously. But I'm just saying. Man, his tape guy. is so fun to watch. Yeah, he's it? just a guy I got to the floor, man. So I'm not going to jump into it because you guys already gave great takes on the, on the two guys you did give. Um, the last group I want to get to really fast is Chris Godwin, Cooper Cup, Carlos Henderson, and David Njoko. And any, any, you guys, where are you going with this one? I like Cooper Cup. I know some people are down on him, certain things they just don't like. Um, but again, when you watch him play, and I, the slot is such a, he's going to be, I, I think he could be deadly in the slot. I'm going him, but who do you guys like? Um, either one of you can go first, whoever, whoever's feeling I'll, I'll just jump in and I'll, I'll do it really quickly. Um, I really like Chris Godwin's tape. I like the reception perception for Matt Harmon, but I'm going tight end again. I'm going in Joku. Um, nice. I think may, may, maybe it's just because I just watched the tape on these guys not that long ago because we just did the tight end pod with Elliot Chris, but the, both of these dudes, um, you know, I, I prefer Howard because I I just don't think there's any issues there with blocking. I think Njoku still has um, a little bit of a transition there, which could make his transition uh, a little bit tougher in the NFL and get into that more 
um, issue of, you know, is he not going to pan out until year two, year three, year four as a tight end? Um, that's a little scary. Crazy but just watching though, right? Crazy. Crazy. I mean, crazy ceiling. And I think it's very easy to make the case. And I would probably agree with you that he has a higher ceiling than OJ Howard, even though I think Howard is going to be such a stud. So, I mean, again, I listed off Howard's measurables and Joku's right there in terms of elite athleticism. His tape is very fun to watch. Um, and so I'm going that route. And again, maybe this is a silly reason to do it, but I just feel like at, looking at the tight end position right now, it is just, uh, it is just terrible. Right. And so, you know, once you get past like six or seven, you know, you're taking a shot on the guy and just praying. And so um, I, I want Njoku out of these. Nice. Uh, Adam, I know you're not going Njoku. You, you know what now? I know you're not going Njoku. I know you're not. Uh, I know we got a disagreement yeah. between you guys here. We don't. Um, so. <laughs> what? Uh, I'm sorry, man. David Njoku, he comes oh my from God, Miami. Was... This is tight end you guys. We are talking about a university that had Kellen Winslow, Jeremy Shockey, Greg Olson, Jimmy Graham. This is the university and Clive that Walford. The- As a Raider fan, yeah. I'm saying Clive, Clive Walford. Walford. Yeah. You know, we can add to the list. This is the university that produces the best receiving tight ends in the NFL. And ultimately, David Njoku is that guy. For me, honestly, he's probably the best receiving tight end in this class. Now, O.J. Howard has an amazing blocking ability that's going to get him on the field right away. I don't know if Njoku is going to have as quick of a trajectory to fantasy success. And for me... I think that that's just typical of the tight end position. His best comparable player on player profiler is Travis Kelsey. He basically has elite metrics. I mean, he's a guy who, for me, I'm super excited about. And if people are overlooking him, he's a guy who I'm going to be trading up for in my dynasty leagues. Or at least I was until I said I, I, so <laughs> I, I so did not see this take coming from Adam. And draft capital, right? We we know this dude's going to be a first rounder. Put it, etch it in stone, and it, it's probably going to be second half of the first round. Where you know, kind of what your take was earlier, Neil, about Dalvin Cook. He's probably going to go to a team um, if he goes to the Giants. Uh, it's it's crazy because the Lions have been linked to wanting a tight end, and they're not going to be able to get OJ Howard. Um, I know Daniel Jeremiah has talked about Njoku is Eric Ebron, but better. Um, with a higher ceiling, more athletic, and we know Ebron went in the top ten. Right. I mean, if he goes to one of these very, you know, good passing offenses with a good quarterback that could get him the ball, it's even more exciting. And again, that draft capital is what excites me because both of these guys are locks to go in the first round. And as much as I like Chris Godwin, he's probably going to be a second rounder. Right. But it's just you start; it starts to get a little bit tougher there. So yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I'm all about it. Yeah, and Joku. I'll just really quick throw out my favorite fit for him is actually if he ends up in Tennessee and gets to learn from Delaney Walker. Yes, yes. I love it. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Crazy upside, crazy ceiling, crazy athletic ability. And Joku's the guy, I guess. So, listen, I think if a listener has not been taking notes, has not gotten any smarter from the takes we've had so far, then they've they failed, man. But what we're going to do now is we're going to go to my favorite segment of the show, Foul or No Foul. Have a little, little bit of fun. 
I'm sure we're going to get some great takes here because what we do here is we mix it up a little bit. It's not all fancy football. It could be anything. Um, I did get some fancy football in there. I'm not going to lie. Um, but <laughs> it could be anything. Uh, and, and for those who are new to listen, who new or new to play in, foul or no foul, I'm basically going to give you guys statements. If you agree with the statement, then it's a no foul. If you disagree with the statement, it's a foul. All right, you both ready? All right, let's do it. I'm right, excited. I have I wasn't given these ahead of time. I don't know what I'm about to get at. It's that time again. Let's play another round of foul or no foul. I'm going to hit you with some stuff you don't expect. But the first guy we actually have talked about, it is fantasy related. And we've talked about him. So we pretty much will, you know, you guys don't have to take too long on it. But the statement is Dalvin Cook will slide to round two of the NFL draft. Foul or no foul. Ben, you can start it. Uh, no foul. I agree. Um, I think you, running back position, you know, I think Christian McCaffrey, Fournette, these guys, even mixing based on talent, but I think McCaffrey, Fournette deserve to go in the first round. But obviously we've seen over years past that a running back position just is a little bit devalued. And because of that, I think because of Cook's injury issues, you know, Evan Silva's done a great job of, of painting it. The injury issues, a, a little bit of a fumble issue, um, and he has some off-the-field concerns himself. I think there's enough stuff there on top of, speaking of athleticism, you know, just how poorly he did um, at the combine. And I don't want to overweight that because, again, his film is very, very good. I think he's a very good running back. But I think he ends up going second round, all things considered. Nice. Adam, you agree? Uh, I do. I, I think this is also a, a no foul. Ultimately, for me, I think that that might even be his ceiling uh, as the second round. I, I don't expect Dalvin Cook to go in the first round now. Again, to rehype and rehash, you know, I, I'm a metrics guy first and foremost. <laughs> he basically failed the combine, in my opinion. So for him, he's a guy who you have to judge off of his tape. I think that he still is one of the top four running backs in the class, but he, for me, is fourth and probably by a wide margin. So ultimately, I just don't see him breaking into that first round. And I think if teams are smart, they're going to be drafting Joe Mixon ahead of him. I don't really know if that'll be the case, but I just I don't see him going in the first Second round, probably likely by the third round. I think he's definitely getting drafted. Yeah, I, 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 feel, the- I feel like guys like Dalvin Cook and Mixon, who, who you know, who people are expecting to possibly fall. I feel like they're those guys though that every time your team comes up, you're like, don't pass on them, don't pass on them, don't pass on them. And then you pass <laughs> on them, you're like, shit. Yeah, you know, I think those those because they're they're exciting nonetheless. You know, I mean, no matter what you think about them, they are exciting um, compared to like offensive tackles oh, or something that people absolutely. don't get crazy about. So it's gonna be those kind of guys when they're falling, people are gonna be like, "Please let my team get them! Please let my team get them!" And then they don't get them, and you're like, "Oh shit, okay." But but yeah, at the end of the day, even with all those other concerns that that I threw out there, just I don't understand how you validate taking a running back in the first round based off draft capital and everything we know about the running back position for a guy that's in the bottom 10 percentile in athleticism. I just think that's a really tough sell. Right. No, definitely understand. The next foul or no foul. Uh, this, is, this is an interesting one. I had to do this. Um, <laughs> Serena Williams, guys, if you're not into tennis, if you haven't caught the news, she won her 23rd Grand Slam while being pregnant. Early oh, stages, man. early stage, I think it's like eight weeks or something. It's not something crazy ridiculous, but she still was pregnant while she won her 23rd Grand Slam. So, which makes her, here's the statement, the undisputed best athlete ever. Foul or no foul? Whichever one of oh, you man. dare to call first this, of all, whichever one of you dare all, to go against the women listeners right now and call this a foul, 
Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. First of all, I had heard the pregnancy thing, but I did not realize that she just won a tournament yeah. while playing pregnant. Um, greatest? Are we saying greatest athlete of all time? Uh, that's that undisputed best athlete ever. You're gonna get. You're gonna have to go bold here, my friend. Oh man. Um, I mean, unless I, I you mean, unless you guys know some 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 people who have, who have, uh, you know won championships, the best in their sport, I mean, pregnant. I mean, you guys let yeah. me know. I gotta go. I mean, I have to go no foul. Like I don't. I, I don't know how I can art. Like first of all, she's a beast regardless. Like one of the best um, to ever do it regardless. And now right. you, you're gonna throw this on top of me that she's playing pregnant and still beasting people. Like I mean, I, I don't really feel like I want to disagree with that right now. <laughs> I just put people on the spot, Adam. Foul or no foul? Now, now, mean, now, think about this, Adam. She's carrying another <laughs> human being inside of her. The future of this world. Please answer this question, Adam. Please do it. It's a foul. Oh. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, if we're talking best athletes of all time, I mean, let, let's be honest. So, in regards to athletics, I personally think the best athletes play basketball. We've okay. seen it from a metrics perspective. Those are the guys who are the best athletes. If we're talking from an athletic competition perspective, Serena Williams has lost tennis matches. We have two boxers who have never lost boxing matches in Rocky Marciano and Floyd Mayweather. I'm not like a huge Floyd Mayweather were, fan. Were they but pregnant? For me, oh, you're right. They were pregnant. <laughs> never mind. Uh, can, I, can I switch back to no foul? Hey. That adds an element in there that I was not prepared for. Listen, lots of pregnant ladies listening right now, man. They are that's not true. happy. They are not happy with Adam's so metrics. I, I can say that's like ninety percent of the really listeners. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we have a very unique fan base, very unique listener base here. Clock Dodgers <laughs> family filled with pregnant women. Um, <laughs> all right, so you say foul, Adam? That's fine. That's fine. That's right. <laughs> You take that stance, and my friend. Between so, the last two podcasts, I have you seven eleven employee. Oh wait, okay. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I don't want to dig our holes too deep, so we'll move on. Are you leaning no foul there? I, 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 I'm leaning no foul. I'm not arguing with pregnant women, guys. Uh, I think That's it's, what I'm saying. I think it's amazing, man, and it's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. Technically, the baby yeah, won mean, a grand slam and everything. I mean, come on. I mean, I already loved Serena before you told me that. Yeah. So I mean, this just adds to it. Yeah, she's awesome, no question. All right, next one. All right, I can't stop thinking about this backfield. We talked about it last episode a little bit. Um, you know, Jen Ryan, she kind of agreed with me here. She bigged me up a little bit. Adam was shocked by it and surprised by it. But here's the statement. The Seahawks will have Lacey, Rawls, and Procise all as starters of at least two games this season each. So each of them will actually be the starter going into the game for at least two games each, foul or no foul. Oh, that's a foul. I disagree with that. All right. And, and um, it's just because you, I mean, the, 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 th- the thing I was thinking about it was like injuries, things like that. Um, right. Guys will right, be forced into right. weird situations or, you know, or things just don't start off how they expect it. So I'm just kind of throwing it out there. It's an interesting situation. We still kind of um, don't know what's happening. No, it's a great question. And that's certainly possible. CJ Procise, who I like a lot, um, obviously has to prove he can stay healthy. And Eddie Lacy, who I like a lot has to prove that he can stay healthy. So from that aspect of it, I it's really hard to argue because we're trying to project injuries, which I try not to predict that much. Um, but I just, I, I'm going to say foul because I'm not a big Thomas Rawls guy. Um, I wasn't in on his ADP last year. 
I wasn't in on him really in DFS because he doesn't catch passes. CJ Procise is an elite pass catcher. If he stays healthy, um, this dude is going to play a lot more than I think some people realize because he's also going to run the ball. I mean, it's kind of like a Christian Moore McCaffrey type role right. where, you know, Eddie Lacy's going to be, I mean, I think based on the money that they gave him, they brought him in. I think he's going to be your starter as long as he stays healthy. And of course we, you know, the weight is an issue as long as he can keep that under control. I think that he's been, he's been able to play and be productive at a, you know, at a heavier weight. Um, and, and I think he can be fine with that. And Pete Carroll already came out. It was one of the weirdest comments I've ever seen. Uh, we laughed about it on the TFA pod, but he said, I like him big, um, referring to Eddie Lacy's weight. So I think they're comfortable with Lacey. I think he's going to be the starter. Um, and on top of CJ Prosize being there, who I think is a very, very good talent in both the run and pass games, I'm going to say that as long as those guys stay healthy, Thomas Rawls starts zero games next year, which is why I say foul. Nice. Adam, do you like him big also, man? <laughs> I didn't think that was the initial question. <laughs> <laughs> that was a question um, that I thought actually, was interesting to afterwards. To the though. initial question, I'm actually going to say no foul. Because at this age in the NFL, being a starter doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't mean that you're going to have the larger snap share. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a larger workload it doesn't really mean anything so i think that it's possible that each could start two games regardless of injury or any other factor as i touched on in the last podcast these are guys who i'm all avoiding because seattle has the worst offensive line in the league and for me it just absolutely seems like a terrible situation for any of these running backs so yeah from a you know starter perspective each of them could start two games for sure nice a wonderful disagreement between you both i love it um, <laughs> finally let's do it finally, <laughs> it just took foul or no foul to bring it out to you guys it's all right um the next one in three years no qb in this upcoming draft will be a starter in the nfl foul or no foul oh wow i love that i i i want to say no foul but i gotta go foul because i have to disagree because I am on team Mahomes. I think me and Adam are about to start agreeing again. Um, I, look, look, so I'm just getting in to film evaluation. And this is the one aspect where it's like, okay, it's really hard to know what you're watching. And I'm getting new into it. But I just wasn't super impressed by Trubisky. I think there's a lot of projection there from a dude that played one year in college, never was under center. Um, I, I am I am partly agree I am partly in the same camp as Adam with some concerns with Deshaun Watson with his throw velocity um, and watching it on tape I think it does show up a little bit um, some underthrows that still ended up being successful in college um, and I'm not sure if those are all going to end up being successful in the pros some some poor underthrows and quick slants and th- quick slants excuse me and things like that but I do think there is still a lot to like about Watson. Um, I don't necessarily think he's a first round pick, but um, a solid second round pick and somebody that could do it. So I'm not totally out on him, but I'm also not in love with him like some other others are. And then I think, you know, a lot of people right now are doing a good job talking about some of the, the, the issues with Kaiser. And sure, he has a high ceiling, but there's also a low floor there, too. He throws some balls, just, you know, some Tim Tebow passes. I mean, it's right. really bad when he's trying to throw out routes. Uh, to the uh, sideline and it hits the, the ground five yards in front of the wide receiver. And granted, that's a little bit of a small sample size, but I don't think he's a, a lock by any means. And neither is Mahomes, which is why I think this is an amazing question. <laughs> but Mahomes has the production. 
Um, the metrics guys love him, which is what really intrigues me to see if Cleveland makes a move to get this dude or not. Um, that would really excite me um, because it would show that, you know, they're kind of using those metrics there. But uh, there's a lot to like about Mahomes and really, you know, oh, air raid offense and that's a huge negative. Yeah, that's fine. But, you know, we have to look at this as a case-by-case basis, too. The dude plays with swagger. The dude has that it factor a little bit. And, yeah, we can't measure that. Um, But at the end of the day, the dude can make all the throws. And, yes, that is not – the arm strength is like the seventh most important thing for me as a quarterback. He needs to be a leader. He needs to be able to read a defense. He needs to be confident. He needs to be decisive with his throws. He needs to be accurate. Uh, he needs to be able to stand in the face of pressure and, uh, you know, not keep, move his eyes down and try to run. He needs to keep his eyes downfield. Um, so there's still a lot of projection with all these guys, but I'm going to disagree because I like what I see from Mahomes. I, I, I wouldn't hate him sitting for a year, but at the end of the day, Mahomes will be starting in three years and maybe somebody else, but at least Mahomes will. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, there's a lot of guys out there. So there's a lot of, you know, like you said, a lot of guys, a lot of opportunity, a lot of talent. And <clears throat> even though they have their holes, um, you know, you got you, you want to think that some of these guys are going to get a chance um, to eventually be a starter in three years. But Adam, do you agree or disagree on this? Foul or no foul? I mean, I, I've got to say foul. I, I kind of wish that you extended out for five years, though, so I could say no foul. Because yeah. I think that the longer you extend this out, the more it becomes a possibility that none of these guys are successful. That makes um, it easier for you, Adam. You don't want to make things know, easy. But let's be honest. Like In three years, I mean, somebody's still going to be starting Deshaun Watson, even if he's god-awful. <laughs> this is the NFL we're talking about. They're you know, quarterback needy like crazy. Everybody thinks that you know the quarterback they have could be the next big thing. So, yeah, some of these guys will be starting. But this is a really weak quarterback class, ultimately. And uh, Patrick Mahomes is my number one in this class as well. But beyond that, everybody feels shaky. And honestly, Mahomes isn't a lock either. So I could see in five years none of these guys being relevant. But that would make this class a gigantic outlier. And as I've kind of outlined before, I just don't bank on gigantic outliers. That's fair, man. That's fair. That's fair. All right. So we have one more here. I'm going to set the scene for you guys a little bit. So you say you sent... Maybe you're texting your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your friend, whatever, whatever you know, whatever you're into. Um, you sent three text messages and the person has not yet responded. Send in a fourth text message before ever receiving a response into your original three text messages is some weirdo level shit. Foul or no foul. <laughs> and either one of you could go first. Whoever feels like, you know, taking that job. I can. Adam, do you want to go first? Yeah, uh, no okay. foul. Um, I, I send strings of text messages to friends all the time, man. I, because like I, I'll just have a thought going and I'll just keep it going. Because until my thought's over, I don't care. Because in this day and age, to me, like whether it's a text message or I'm DMing somebody on Twitter, like regardless of whether I write you one message or a you know giant paragraph, for me, as long as I don't care when you get back to me, it doesn't matter. If, if, yeah, if, man, if, if, if it was more. a girlfriend, would it change it? Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> okay. I, I, again, we agree, but there's multiple ways we can look at this. First of all, I, I'm the same way. I'm the dude that sends like one thought in seven different texts or tweets, um, and I just break it up and I just keep sending them. So from that aspect, I don't care at all. 
definitely don't care for my girlfriend's aspect. Like, um, I do the exact same thing with her and, you know, there's no issues there. Like, Oh, why is she not? No, like, unless I'm like, for some reason she hasn't responded for a long time and I'm starting to think her safety might be in question. There's no issues here at all. Um, but the one way that we can look at this and spice it up a little bit, um, is, you know, thinking back to the single days and like, you're trying to court a girl, right? That's when, you know, I I think that's kind of what you're getting at. And that's when, you're thinking a little bit more about every single move, right? And if it's like, again, that's the way I text. So if it's like one thought, but I'm breaking it up, then I don't have an issue. But if you mean, you know, I send something and she doesn't respond for a couple hours, and then I send a completely different thought and she doesn't respond for a couple hours, and then another one, yeah, then I can see where it starts to get creepy where, you know, (laughs) you're still texting and there's no response. So from that angle, I can kind of agree where I would say, yeah, you might just want to chill out for a little bit <laughs> and wait to see what happens. Unless you're just calling her out and being like, yo, what the hell's going on here? Like, I'm going to need you to say something or I'm going to move on. Then that's kind of dope. Yeah. But if, you, <laughs> if you're creepy with it, I agree that's creepy. Other than that, no issues here at all. Gotcha. Guys, we, we're experts in text etiquette. and Who even knew it, man? Sometimes you just got to pull these <laughs> things out of people, you know? Sometimes well, you got to pull out of people. Fun. Listen, this, yeah. this, this episode has been amazing. Like, it is one of the best episodes he's ever done, man. I'm being serious, man. This thing was great. Uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I've had a great time. Like like I said at the beginning, I just love talking football. And, you know, you guys have killed it. And, and this has just been so much fun. Absolutely. So before we go, you know, I always um, – I, I, first, I want you to plug yourself a little bit more. I know we, we've kind of hit in, in conversation here, you know, what, what you've done. But where can people find you on Twitter or, you know, your articles, your, your podcast, whatever you're doing? Where, where can people find you best? What's the easiest? Where you would like them to support you at? Yeah, man, I appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Cummins FF. Um, check out the Fantasy Authority podcast. We're doing some great stuff there. Um, if you hear this before the draft and you want to sneak in a little bit more player evaluation, we did a uh, quarterback show, wide receiver show, running back show, and tight end show with some great guests there. Um, if you go to YouTube and just type in the Fantasy Authority, you can find it or just with any uh, podcast app. And then um, I haven't been able to do as much writing right now as I'm finishing grad school, and it's really pissing me off. But I'm going to get back to it here in, in a little bit. I have gotten some articles out this offseason. Um, the main place you can find me are the Fantasy Footballers, um, two quarterbacks, and then even a little bit at Roto Underworld as well. Um, got some exciting stuff coming up next season with DFS for the Fantasy Footballers. So uh, definitely try to check that out as well. Yeah, man, you do a lot of great work. You've aligned yourself with some obviously some great people. So, um, you know, good job and all that. And guys, definitely go support them. You know, support Ben and everything he does. Um, Fantasy Authority, all these guys are good people, man. Um, before we go, I like I do like to let our um, our guest, you know, leave a message for the listeners. Um, I, you know, it could be anything you want. Like I always say, I know we've been done heavy fancy football here. If you want to get some fancy advice, that's fine. If you want to get some life advice, text messaging advice, whatever you want to give, <laughs> it's totally free game. Um, but the floor is yours here, man. All right, man. Yeah. I saw this in the, uh, word document for the show. And so I realized if you were going to, you know, put this on me, I had to bring it. So I'm going to go with a little bit of life advice and here it is. So Wake up every day with the goal of becoming a better person than you were the day before. Um, And part of that is finding your passion and attacking it. And obviously, that's kind of what I've done here with fantasy football and and you guys doing the same thing. Um, And again, it's because life is about experiences, right? We, We realize that as we get older, it's about experiences with those that we love. Um, others that share the same passions as us. That's what we're doing right here on this podcast. And if we don't attack 
you know, our passion, then we're not ever going to put ourselves in a position to be able to have those experiences with people that we love and people that share those passions with us. So figure out what it is. Don't hesitate. Don't let, you know, negativity or fear get in the way. Do what you love to do. We only get one life. And that helps become, you know, by making the right decision and, and continuing to improve yourself as an individual every single day. Thank you, man. What a great message. That's what I'm talking about, man. That's what Clock Dodgers is all about, man. Great messages like that. Thank you, Ben. Um, I think we thank you guys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, we 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 got some uh, we got some great stuff here. And Adam, I feel like we kind of I feel like you guys have some kind of connection here, man. I don't know if it's the Chicago Illinois <laughs> thing or what, but you guys are like long lost brothers. There's a lot of similarities here. <laughs> yeah, um, man. I look forward to uh, continued conversations on Twitter and and maybe podcast down the road as well. Yeah, of course, man. Absolutely, Adam. Any other any closing statements here, man? Anything? No, just uh, it's been a pleasure, Ben. This has been a super fun podcast, and uh, I hope all of our listeners made it all the way to the end because, man, we went long on this one, but God, was well it worth it. it. Well worth it, yeah. Hell yeah, man. Definitely. Couldn't agree anymore. This has been a blast. Um, that's it, guys. Hey, Ben, Adam, you guys have a great night. You too, guys. Later. Take care. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Was that episode not jam-packed? Yo, that episode was filled with a lot of content, a lot of really useful, helpful content. Thank you to Ben. Appreciate him so much for coming on the podcast. The dude knows his stuff like it like it ain't even funny. Thanks to, again to Adam, as always, for being a regular guest on the show. Always need one of those around, so thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. Listen, you guys know the deal, but here's something new. We have a contest starting this episode. Let me lay the groundwork out a little bit for you. First, this this contest is sponsored by R. Ruxin of the Fancy Life app. Good dude. Good dude. He actually won the last contest and decided to pay it forward. Now, that if that ain't some clock dodger type shit, I don't know what is. So thank you to him. If you see him, if you bump into him in the streets of the internet, tell that man thank you. But here's what we're going to do. We are going to give away a clock dodgers mug, coffee mug. For all our coffee drinkers out there, you don't got to put coffee in it. I mean, you can put liquor in it or whatever. You, However you really want to get down, that's totally up to you. But you're going to get a cup from us, a mug that says Clock Dodgers. has the logo smacked right across it. It's going to be pretty damn sweet, and you're going to be the only one with one. That's that's the cool part. This is an exclusive Clock Dodgers mug because I don't even have a Clock Dodgers mug, if we're being honest. So we're going to give this away. How we're going to do this, though, is we're going to ask questions from the episode you just listened to. This is going to happen three episodes in a row. Um, so for this episode is starting, I'm going to ask you a question from the conversation. Okay. Once I, once I, once you hear that question, you obviously got to figure out the answer. Hopefully if you listen to the whole conversation, you know, the answer already. And what you're going to do is you're going to send that answer to me either by email clockdodgers at gmail.com, or you're going to DM me on Twitter, or that's probably the two best options. So yeah, we'll go that way. Either you're going to send the email or you're going to DM me on Twitter or actually one more way. You can DM me um, on whatever social media app you actually know me on. So wherever you know me from, wherever you wherever you most interact with Clock Dodgers, that's where you're going to send this to me. Um, obviously, don't send it out in the open somewhere because whoever is watching is definitely going to take your answer and go from there. So obviously, if you're one of those who listen to the episodes extremely quickly and you're one of the first to get to it, you're going to have an advantage on people who are going to be listening to this five years from now, and they're not going to be able to actually participate in this contest. So um, this is really for the diehards. You know what I mean? The diehards are going to really, this is going to pay off for them more than anybody because 
we love you guys, man. And you say, if you stay in tune like you have, you stay in the whole episode like you do, you always have feedback and you're interacting with us. And it's, it's a lovely thing. This clock dodger thing is a lovely thing. And we're all a big part of it. So we'll do the easy. We'll do an easy one this first time. From this conversation, our guest Ben has a favorite football team. What is Ben's favorite football team? So all you have to do is either email me, Twitter DM me, however you want to send it. You can send it by carrier pigeon. You probably won't win because it may take a little longer, but I'm just saying. And whoever gets all three answers to me first is going to get the coffee mug. So it's not about who gets this one right. It's about who gets all three in a row to me correctly first. So so basically the first person to send me all three answers, um, this episode, the next episode, and the episode after, um, that person will win. Uh, so you can do it however you want. You can keep all three, three answers and wait to that second to send it all at one time. You can send each one individually. I'll keep track of them all. So you don't got to worry about that. Um, and then when you win, we will, me, Clock Dodgers, RR Ruxin, shout out to RR Ruxin, powerful RR Ruxin. Um, he'll, we'll, we'll send you out the mug. You know, you'll have the one and only Clock Dodgers coffee mug. Um, at this moment in time. So that's gonna be really cool. And uh, again, I call it a coffee mug, but whatever you get down with, you get down with, it can go in a cup and you're good. Um, so yeah, so that's what we're doing. Send those answers to me, hold the answer, wait till you got all three, however you want to do this. But just know that the ones who, who really listen to the episodes, the one who really support this thing, the one who, who jump on it every time and, and show it lots of love, those are the ones who are going to get the answers first, I'm sure, and get them over to me first. But whoever wants that coffee mug the most is who's going to get it. I want a coffee mug, but I want you to have it first before I get a coffee mug. Um, so that's what we're going to do, guys. You guys know how to do this. You guys know how we work. It's all love. Please keep supporting the movement. Clock Dodgers. I'm out. Visit ClockDodgers.com for more unique content. Connect with us now by following at ClockDodgers on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.